1: Hello everybody and welcome back to the New Books and Folklore, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm host Stephanie Hatak and today we will be talking to Carol Ann King about her book, Alabama Quilts, Wilderness Through World War II, 1682 to 1950, published by the University Press of Mississippi. Carol Ann King, welcome to the show. Great, thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) <laughs> I wonder if you could begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself and a brief overview about this wonderful book.
0: Great. Right. Well, I'm in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, uh, I'm at Landmarks Foundation, and we operate um, Old Alabama town for the city of Montgomery, but uh, and I've been here a very long time. So uh, I've been in this industry, uh, the museum industry for a while, and we have a massive collection of quilts here at Old Alabama town um, as well. Um but, I was introduced to Mary Elizabeth Johnson Huff um, probably over 30 years ago. Um, We were very active in the Alabama Decorative Arts Survey that was done in the late 1980s. It was a national endowment grant uh, that the Birmingham Museum of Art was able to uh, get to document material culture Alabama made material culture all throughout the state of Alabama. And to do that, they had a a crew of field workers. And they went throughout the state looking for quilts, pottery, uh, furniture, clothing, all types of material culture from the 19th and early 20th century. Uh, And that's how sunshine and I met we were support material. In other words, we've housed uh, a field worker here at Old Alabama Town, um, by the name of Andrew Glasgow, who for this book 35 years later wrote um, a very lovely essay. Um, he went on to have a very interesting career in um, craft and art industry in this country as well. Uh, and Mary Elizabeth was located in Monroe County in the Black Belt, and she helped a lot of the field workers uh, get into places throughout her her area. She herself was a craft editor for um, in New York for several publishing houses, and as well, she came back home and was a did the craft series that were so popular um, done by Southern Living and Progressive Farmer as well, and then returned home to Monroe County. She was a quilter. She was actually a quilter and a historian and an obviously obviously writer and publisher. Uh, and I'm a museum person. I appreciate textiles and fiber, but I'm not actually uh, a quilter. Although they have taught me, but you know, it, it's it's a special place in people's hearts. And I'm more of a social historian. But about the book itself, um, we began um, the research. Foundation for the book was all of the quilts that they found for the Alabama Decorative Arts Survey. We went back and um, looked at all the field work and images for probably about 1,500 quilts. And we mapped them out throughout the state. And we thought, well, we've got a few pockets here that haven't been covered very well. And so we basically created a plan. Mary Elizabeth had been very active in Mississippi um, with the state quilt guild who had um, contracted with her to write The Mississippi Quilt Book if you're familiar with that which was also done by the University Press of Mississippi. Um, she had a backup crew of all of the uh, quilters throughout the state of Mississippi that helped her to produce that book which was very successful. And after its production she was just kind of like well, we got to have an Alabama one, Florida had one, Georgia had one, you know, so the state of Alabama does not have a quilt guild. Um, there's lots of pockets of quilt guilds and uh, uh, churches and, and fiber clubs and things like that. There, there are a lot of those, but no statewide coordination. So she said, it's just you and me. So, uh, you know, I was very um, honored for her to have selected me to be her partner on this venture, um, and it took us about 20 years. We um began uh made a lot of, I won't say we didn't make mistakes, but we learned an awful lot along the way. Um one of the first things that we learned on our original um quilt share day uh was that um, and this was in Huntsville at Bird on the Mountain, we really need to set to set some parameters. Uh we decided we needed this field work, we needed to go back out, we needed to go into different Areas of the state that had not been covered, and um, so we began to map that out. Our first day at Burritt, we saw 250 quilts in six hours. Uh, so we had to we had to kind of we had to make a make a plan on this a little bit better. So we said, okay, we're going to look at quilts from statehood, 1819, when Alabama became a state, until 1950. In 1950, um, uh, it, quilts become more of a crafty item as opposed to utilitarian item. Um, You know, there's so much, uh, I'm gonna say public media, there's mass production. And so we thought, you know, we're gonna have to, we're gonna keep it to just those, um, that early 140 years. So that was where we actually came with the, from the wilderness to World War II, um, those particular dates. Um, we also decided what is an Alabama quilt. And we we had come across this in, in Huntsville at Burrett on the mountain because people were bringing in all kinds of beautiful quilts that actually had been made 50 miles away in Tennessee. But they had been made in Tennessee, but, you know, let's say 1830, but by 1850, they're in Alabama and they're still in Alabama. So we decided that we would be looking at quilts that had strong um alabama roots preferably made but we did not walk away from anything that was actually made uh plus our state lines uh moved from time to time you know the boundaries between as as states became official states uh the boundaries moved a little bit too so we try not to be so specific about that um we contacted about uh Uh, I don't know, lots of different clubs, museums, organizations within the state and said, we're available to do this for you guys. What is, you know, what can we, you know, this is what we want. We want to document Alabama quilts within these parameters. And so we had a a lot of input within um, museums coming forward, wanting to host us. We created um, a program. Um, We would go in for the weekend. Sunshine was a very good public speaker. And so we would have like an evening um, and people would come in and hear about our field work. What were we doing? um, What we the interesting things we had found so far. And then the next day would be a quilt share day. Um, We set up a format um, and we sent that out early to our host. Where organization library church um we need this many volunteers for you to help us we need this many tables and chairs and you know so we had a, a very um concise and efficient because we wanted to see as many um quilts as we could within the time frame so we needed to try to get it as as um tight as we could we had you know a photography corner and a uh, oral history corner for, where people would give us the oral history of the quilts. And then we had a an evaluation corner where we would have the local people um, help us evaluate the quilts. In other words, we wanted the quilt physically separated from the story of the quilt where we could, you know, look at the different colors, the different fabrics, the different um, stitch types. Um, and so we documented approximately 2,500 Plus quilts, I think, throughout 25, 20, 20 years, in other words. Um, we also went into several private collections. Um, we assisted the Alabama Department of Archives and History in um, redocumenting theirs. They, of course, had lots of stories, but they wanted the physical evaluation of each of the quilts too. So they were restoring theirs. They had opened up a new storage area. And so we helped them take the quilts from their old storage area. We looked at them, photographed them, um, evaluated them, and then they could, um, you know, conservative, conservatively um, restore um, the quilts uh, appropriately within their new storage facility. So um, we were able to go through and, and document a lot of those. So you will see a lot of those as well in the Alabama um, Alabama Quilts and the uh, Alabama Department of Archives and History uh, very graciously underwrote the book with the university press um, as a uh, bicentennial project as well. So that was um, a a very much a a godsend to us on that as well. Um, We've um, had a lot of good feedback on the book itself. We have some quilt scholars in the um, industry that helped us with it. Gail Andrews, um, who was a a curator at the Birmingham Museum of Art, was very interested. Um, She was interested in um, quilts herself and she began her study in the mid um, 80s as well. Gail did go on to become the director of the Birmingham Museum of Art. And she said, hey, here's my research. Um, whatever I can do help to help you. She said, you know, I don't think I'm going to get to this book at this point in time. So she was very gracious and helped us um, uh, produce the book as well, because she saw and understood the need for it. Several other quilt um, construction scholars um, produced essays. We have lots of sidebars, which is what makes the book so much interesting, too. Um, People uh, who excelled in log cabins, Um, we have Crazy Quilt, um, Scholar, um, just different types of, um, we call them rabbit holes. You know, you go down a rabbit hole, this is real interesting, um, so that we could, a little bit more research, that we could help explain some of the actual text to the book itself. Um, I'm not a quilter like we talked about. This is not a construction book. This is not like how to make a quilt. This is more about women. Women's social history, what was happening in Alabama, um, historically, politically. Um, So it's that's why it took uh, Mary Elizabeth about five years to write this book all together, full time, about five years. Um, So it's a very dense book. In other words, um, when people tell me, oh, I read the book, you know, it's like, well, how long did it take you? Well, you know, you, you read a chapter at a time because we separated the book into um, time periods of what was happening in Alabama. You know, we have pre-statehood, then we have the building of the state, then of course we get into the pre-war, then we get into the war, so we take it in, in hunks of history and how quilting and women um, were a part of telling the Alabama story.
1: Uh, That's one thing that I noticed about the book that I really liked was just the density of that research and the information that you were able to share. Uh, Was there anything that surprised you about the research once you got into it? Uh, Anything that maybe, you know, changed your mind about something or something new that you came across that you weren't expecting?
0: Well, it was very interesting. Uh, As we started our research, of course, we'd look at it. We were looking through the 1980s, the original survey. And so We were trying to get a beginning date very early on. We found this 1682 quilt, and it's kind of like it was very documented, it had a very strong story. Um, and it was part of our uh definition, it became part of our definition on what is an Alabama quilt. And we're like, you know, Alabama didn't become a state until. 1819 this thing is 150 years older where did this come from and it gets into this this particular quilt lives um today in west alabama in magnolia grove which is a historic house owned by the alabama historical commission and you know they said hey we got this piece of a quilt over here you guys want to see it and it's like oh it's fabulous um and it was very well documented through family papers to have been made in England. It came to Connecticut um, and by statehood or by 1820, um, it's actually in Alabama. It, can, it is documented to follow through uh, the family as it was passed down to generation and generation. And, and as they moved on down through the South and into um, the deep South as well. Um so I mean, it's a beautiful piece of a silk whole cloth uh, quilt, which um, is nicely preserved. And what happened was it was passed down from generation to generation to the female who uh, was to bear the name Sarah. So every Sarah generation after inherited this quilt. And at some point, of course, the family tree was so big. There were like several Sarahs of one generation. So they just got the quilt up. Which you know that was they did that around around about the time it came and one Sarah was coming to Alabama and so she got this piece of a quilt but it's a beautiful silk quilt um, and is very conserved and, and is part of the interpretation at Magnolia Grove over there so that was one of the first things because Sunshine uh, Mary Elizabeth did a lot of um, research nationally um, to document this history as possibly being the oldest quilt in the country Uh, because even in the country's development, that's, that's very early for a textile to have survived. Um, Mary Elizabeth was very um, knowledgeable uh, about the national movement in quilting in, in American history. She had done um, the American quilt book with Rod Kirikoff um, as well. And so she had a much bigger View of quilting and its importance in American history. And then we would just fine-tune in it into Alabama. So that was one of the um, more interesting things um, that we came across. A small, we, we, we always find it interesting things. And of course, I was int- learning more about things like natural dyes. Uh, and in different parts of the state, you would see different shades of different colors, which had to do with you know, say clay being used or um, different types of dirt or um, uh, natural resources that people were actually using. You could see as we went around the state, different, different colors that would be very popular um, as well. One of the things that I thought was most interesting was that our thought process, we're in Alabama, a uh, chief crop is cotton, so as we were looking at the batting or the um, the material, the stuffing rather in the quilt, um, you would assume it was cotton. You know, we had cotton all over the place. There was cotton, and we did see a lot of cotton. And of course, in in early quilts, you'll you'll feel see the cotton, and you'll feel the seeds because it's unginned cotton. So. Uh, that was just the leftovers that had fallen on the floor something like that. So you'd see like that, but what we were seeing was wool. Uh, and it, that was really threw me off there, but, and, and it was something that even surprised Mary Elizabeth that we kept seeing all of this wool because the general assumption is it's cotton, but as you think it through, um, wool was cheap, wool was renewable, you know, sheep, they're going to grow some more, <laughs> they're going to grow another fleas next year. But cotton was a cash crop. You weren't gonna, you, were, you weren't gonna basically put money between the, put money in your quilt. So uh, that was one of the things we thought was very very interesting that uh, people were keeping their cotton, they were selling their cotton, uh, and they were just using their sheep sheep wool to to um to actually stuff that. Um, we were very um, interested to see the evolution of the northern um, retail influence you know, as you go through the 19th century, you start seeing these really fine imported fabrics that are coming into Alabama through Mobile. Um, so, so the quilt construction was not as primitive as you think it would be uh, because quilts were being given as gifts, that type of thing. So that they weren't necessarily bed coverings, they were high-end gifts. Uh, so we were seeing a lot of really nice English chintzes, things like that, that they had obviously purchased from either up north or from England uh, and through brokers in, say, Mobile, which was, um, you know, much older than Montgomery, uh, or even New Orleans, you would see. They may have purchased these things. And in a lot of cases, some of these quilts that had remained in the families would come with documentation, saying where they had actually got this, um fabric too so um that we that we quit we quit quite a quit looking for things because we were seeing too many things as it was so okay.
1: and so you touched a little bit on these quilts um speaking to alabama and, and helping to find a sense of place uh, how else did these quilts help tell the story of alabama
0: i think people think um Uh, quilting as a stay-at-home situation in the 19th century it was but what we were seeing was um, memory quilts or things that were documenting um, weddings um, or special events Um, around 1861 we start seeing these very patriotic uh, quilts that are happening as well as uh, quilts that were produced and sold for the war effort. Um, The Alabama Decorative Arts Survey of the 1980s had unsurfaced these gunboat quilts. Um, There were made and documented four actually in the state that the local women made these beautiful um, center medallion quilts uh, that were made as a community. Uh, and then they were sold for money to produce gunboats for the confederacy and what was happening uh, was they were being bought, and then they would be taken to another community and resold again. so uh, they were making thousands and thousands of dollars for um uh, for these boats to be used to defend the confederacy uh, and they are uh, there's four of uh, four documented uh, two live at the Birmingham museum now and to live at first White House of the Confederacy here in Montgomery. They've been conserved in their own exhibit too. So how how women organized uh, politically and or socially too, but they were very strong politically, very, very strong. Um, And you see that uh, after the um, turn of the century uh, into the 20th century as well, we saw lots of red cross quilts that the same way they would be red and white uh, and they would be sold in communities to produce money for uh, soldiers' efforts at home, you know, maybe sort of like early USO, uh, or even money for um, war widows. So you see that uh, really strong in World War I. We saw it in World War II also, but it was very, very strong in World War, World war I. So um, women were using their, um, what they knew as um, for influence. They, they, they weren't just sitting at home um, creating bed coverings. Um, they were really out there um, making uh, a, a place in history as well.
1: That's really interesting. Um, and quilting, uh, as you probably know, is currently very popular in visual art, uh, modern decor, and fashion. Um, what are your thoughts on the evolution of quilting, and why might it be, why might it be tw- trending now? So.
0: It is, it is. It's yeah. very interesting now. It's really gotten and I think a lot of that popularity, of course, is created <clears throat> by the outsider artist. Mm-hmm. Um, we were just talking, I was just talking today, I'm fixing to put an exhibit of, of um, G-Spin quilts. Um, so, because quilting has changed from a necessity, um, a, a utilitarian thing, to, like you said, a, more of an art form. Um, so we do see... Um, uh, we we see the bed covering turned into the gallery in other words um in the 20th century we also saw a lot of um recycling what we would call recycling now too um one of the interesting pieces of the of the book in in, in one of the later chapters is a lady tore these cloth labels out of her husband's um the tires he sold in his tire store you know they had this Piece like a label on the inside of the time before they put them on the cars, they would she would they would tear these off. But they had, it was kind of a cool stripe, and so she made this beautiful quilt. Um, they had uh, up in Fort Payne in the north northeast area of Alabama. They had um, sock capital of the world is Fort Payne, Alabama, um, and they had these um, uh, seconds, or it was just the top of the sock, the ribbing. And the ladies would take those home and create these beautiful pieces of art from these leftovers. So we just saw this real, this real interesting early um, recycling with what they had. Um, by the 20th century, let's say the, about the 30s, you, get, you see this big domestic movement happening, too, with the county extension services um, and the CCC and the WPA where um they're actually having classes where they begin to teach women to quilt and all these other types of domestic arts you know cooking um how to keep house and so you start seeing competition as well so that's where they really start um uh up in their game in other words uh and and county fairs like we see that today as well so i think um uh Fiber, fiber fiber and textiles are something that you that are kind of in your blood which I think is very interesting too just because I am a fiber person but I'm not a quilter I mean I can't pass a nice piece of cloth without feeling it. Um, it's just something that you know people like to rub and touch if that's your thing but um and sunshine of course Mary elizabeth was very um interested in that and saw quilt she saw quilts and the quilting concept of layering everywhere. I mean, in, anywhere we went, you know, she would, she, her eye was always on that fiber. People are, are um, always looking for that.
1: Okay. Uh, and can you speak a little bit to what it was like combining such in-depth research with such beautiful visuals? Uh, were there any unique research writing or publishing considerations that you'd like to share?
0: Well, We were trying to get the book as together as possible for the press so that they would create what our vision was. Um, Sunshine, Mary Elizabeth, had a vision as to what she wanted. And so that was always in the back of our mind. In publishing, sometimes your visuals and your um, script narrative they may not gel once they get into print. So she wanted to make sure that it was just as as close and as tight as it possibly could. We could possibly get it. So, as she wrote, she was able to then insert the connection to the quilts we already had seen. we There were quilts she saw, and we went back and photographed the ones that um, we were going to use for publication um, our survey with 2500 you know those were those were nice digitals but but not publication quality and so we brought in the quilts we thought were um, the most exquisite and the most we really wanted to document and had them photographed by a professional photographer and then she, then she began to write the book in other words so she, she we saw we had the visual first really and she created because there's plenty of history for everything. So, so she was able to do that. Um, our photographer, uh, we had for the most part, one photographer, unless we had gotten the images from a museum where they supplied their own uh, images. But, um, and this is also at, uh, you know, as we began this, we're also in becoming into the world of digital photography as well. So we had to go back and um, reshoot a lot of things. Uh, to To get the quality and the DPI and all that for the publication quality photographs, um, and we had a local photographer, uh, uh, Dave Martin, who was actually a Associated Press sports photographer. He was he was you know kind of a, a friend of ours that kind of thing, and uh, he and his wife Jamie were both AP um, professional photographers. Uh, um, she, Jamie did feature political features, and and Dave did, and we said, can y'all. can y'all do this for us and they were like well we've never shot you know still art before but so they came in and they basically set up studio space and really dedicated themselves to doing a fabulous job um they'd never done it before but it was such a challenge and they became so interested in what they were photographing um that we kind of just let them do their thing uh, when we would bring um, p- people, asking people to bring the quilts that had been chosen for the book, um, bring them in. Uh, we'd have several quilt shooting days set up a gallery space and people would bring them in and, and we would shoot them for the book. So we were very, er- uh, early on, we were visually looking at it organizationally wise and then we able to like almost in our heads, put it together. By the photographs that we knew Dave had produced for us, uh, unfortunately, Dave um, passed away in 2013. He um, was shooting what he liked to do best. He was on a, a, a playoff game in Atlanta on the field New Year's Day and had a massive heart attack. It was, it was very sad, but this was one of the things that you know was listed in his. Uh, <laughs> of his list of achievements of football and uh, all these different comp, comp, sports competitions. And all of a sudden it's quilt book, but he and his wife did a beautiful job on that. So, so there's a lot of consistency in the images too, you know, and they're not all, some of them good, some of them bad, that that's one of the good things. And that, um, and the press was very um, complimentary of that as well. So um, I um, we added appendices, appendices. We added appendices to um, the book because we felt they were very important. We have the sidebars, um, the rabbit holes, like we talked about. Um, then we wanted to make the book almost handbookish. In other words, you can see where you know if you're interested. There's lists of places, institutions in the state that have quilts um, available for you to see. We of course listed all of our quilt share days and the volunteers who helped us. Um, We have a nice chapter done by Dr. Robert Cargo on um, uh, care, the care and cleaning of your family heirlooms. And one of the things that I did at the very last um, uh, was index, which was my first time at doing anything like that, and I did not know that was going to be happening. But um, it, it uh, you know, it gave me a. a chance to edit, go back through it and edit the book, and then um, be able to really document and stress and make sure that that we got that I got what I wanted people to make to be able to you know get through in the book as well. Um, so we've been you know we've got a lot of really good um, uh, feedback from it as well. So um, we're pretty excited about it. it we we hey, it's really tough bringing a book out in a pandemic, but uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, well, you do book. Yeah, sure. We'll, 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 but uh, we've got a slow start, um, although it, it's, it's been a very nice seller for sure, even in the pandemic. So, Well, it's always
1: nice to hear, you know, the story behind the story of different folklore uh, pieces and works of art. Um can you speak a little bit to the idea of quilting as a way to communicate and pass along folklore? Um, for example, uh, story quilts and things like that.
0: The story quilts, like like we had, um, we're talking about the cheese bin quilts, and um, of course, we're uh, the Deep South is is producing the outside artists so much. Um, people are seeing this. People that you people that would think that no one was interested in their story, they're now seeing a conduit in other words um we helped um uh a henry ford village henry ford museum and greenfield village up in uh, michigan um i actually purchased a collection of quilts from the uh, from the alabama area um uh of susanna her name was susanna and she's actually in the book as well um and these are the story of susanna she is expressing herself, um, but, um, and her family, you know, wanted to basically share it with the world as well. Um, and now this emergence of these ex- personal expressions, you know, beforehand, I'm gonna say it was mass produced, but it would be a group, i say a quilting bee, and you would be using a certain material, that kind of thing, but these story quilts are where people are, are using alternatives um, to create something that was special either in their lives or in, you know, their world, their community, or just in the, in the, um, the area itself. So we're seeing a lot of that, um, you know, if you're not able to have an expensive camera, but you have your, that's your talent. Your talent is stitching. So we're seeing so, so much more now, which I think um, now that is that quilting is seen as an art form, and an artistic expression form as opposed to a bed covering, you know. Uh, Quilts also are one of the most popular um, things of um, transmission, pieces of material culture that we can transmit um, values, um, expression, way of life. um, when, When looking at them in the 20th century, and you look at folklore, folk life, um, what is that? It's, it's the, tr- the traditions that are passed down either through family or through, through community. And um, quilts are one of the most prolific in that as well. Um, you get some other material cultures, you know, pottery, some things like that, that you do see that production that is produced family and, and community as well. But quilts themselves are probably one of the most. Um, uh, inviting, encompassing, and, and prolific as to generation after generation after generation.
1: What is something that you hope readers will take away from your book?
0: I hope they uh, uh, will see the strength that women had, um, in the 19th and 20th century. Um, History, you know, doesn't always tell their story, Um, but that's one of the things we were trying to do. We were really trying to focus on how strong they were, um, how much they got done, even in the pioneer days. I mean, even when Alabama was being settled, um, we were seeing these beautiful um, chintz quilts coming out of Mobile. Uh, because these women they they may have been going down a dirt road but um they were bringing their wedding quilt with them and um to to share in their new home uh, in the the on the on the you know the out in the middle of nowhere i mean they were coming away from home but this was this was something that they was very portable but could um, always be with them as well uh, so that that's just sort of what we our purpose was we wanted to make sure that Alabama was documented to be have as strong a tradition as we still see today. Um, we've just been having some discussion about some local quilting groups. I mean, it's still very, very strong uh, down here, uh, even though, you, you know, you may buy your you may not be saving scraps uh, from a dress um, You may be purchasing them at the local fabric store, but the tradition and the desire to create and and to pass it on is still very much alive. Okay. Well, is there anything that we haven't discussed that you'd like to share about this project? Um, I'd just like to um, say that it it had been a great honor to be able to produce this. Um, I had never thought I would ever be Uh, you know co-authoring a book on quilting uh, and and I'm especially proud for it to be quilting traditions um, as well as having worked with Mary Elizabeth um, Johnson Huff uh, and all of the volunteers that we saw throughout the state over uh, the decades that we um, actually did this. It's not our book so much as it is their books because they brought the quilts to share with us. They wanted to share their families, their genealogy, uh, their past, um, a, as well as the volunteers and the groups that hosted us. Um, I think that, you know, it, it's, it, it's got a future too because we're, we're talking about uh, quilt exhibits now. We're talking about uh, quilt um, uh, websites. We're talking about all these things that, that are spinning off of this book that will continue to keep um, this tradition alive as it as it basically kind of morphs from a utilitarian to a, a craft type of situation. Is um, um, that um, we? It was just an honor to work with so many of these really um, high end, extremely uh, productive people who had such an artistic vision. It's it's pretty mind boggling the current that helped us produce this book, as well as these people that, uh, you know, uh, went before us.
1: Okay. Uh, well, Carolyn, we've taken up a lot of your time today. Um, so I just have one final question for you. Uh, where can we buy this book and learn more about your work?
0: Well, I would hope everyone is very interested, not just this is This is for historians, Alabama history people, regional history people, women's history people, Um, we, uh, the book is available here at Landmarks Foundation in our museum store. Um, It's also at the Alabama Department of Archives and History in their museum store um, as well, and I believe it is also in the Goat Hill Museum store, which is located in the Alabama State Capitol.
1: Well, Carol, that sounds great. Um, I want to thank you for being on the show today uh, I really enjoyed it. and I hope you did too. Uh, so it's congrats. Mm-hmm. Thank you. you. Uh, well, congrats on your wonderful book and take care.
0: Thank you.